you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. I caught the Metallica and I caught that, uh, that one about the, the pre-sale stuff, which is just kind of interesting. Um, so, um, anyway, hey, I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and <clears throat> thanks for, did we say tuning in, to episode 515, titled to be determined at this point. I think you but, can safely say thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, yeah. Well, thanks for listening, and this is episode 515. And across the airways, because I am in Los Angeles and he is in San Jose, producing this podcast, sitting in the Brett Cave, probably literally, right? You're you're there with your computer. I am. It's it's so, dark. It's dark, and it's lit by the light of one computer monitor. Just ooh, kind of a noir classic. Who, new uh, that, that, that way, I cannot see who you are. So you must tell the listeners. I'm Rick Brett Snyder. Excellent. We've got some comics news some movie news some tv news and of course a couple of top stories a couple of pieces of breaking news today but first i, I want to uh, i'm going to do you know I, we say this is the spot where hey if you'd like to do an ad for your you know some project project that you would like to promote we absolutely would would love to run that to help have you sponsor the fanboy planet podcast and you can write to editor at fanboyplanet.com and we can talk rates and Rick, of course, is a podcast producer. We will help you produce that ad, in fact. But I'm going to off-the-cuff say one right now because I got confirmation today. This is an advertisement for myself. I did get an email that my uh, that the book I have co-written has been actually printed, wow. published, and, and should be available at Comic-Con. I still say should because <laughs> at least we know that the copies are coming word. our way. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, I was Flesh Gordon, uh, which you can see there's an Amazon link on fanboyplanet.com, and that is the memoirs of Jason Williams, who was the actor who played Flesh Gordon and went on to be a B-movie writer, director, actor, producer, uh, as well as he followed up with the uh, the expert Alice in Wonderland, starring Christine Bell from Meatballs. And the big brawl with Jackie Chan. So uh, it's a kind of an interesting story about being in Hollywood in the 70s and being a kid from Orange County who was kind of innocent and then got thrown into the deep end. So uh, we've got that coming uh, in, I guess, late July. We'd say Comic-Con still counts as late July. Uh, that's available from McFarland Publishing. And like I said, there's a link on Amazon, which tells me, again, of course, you can, if you'd like to help support Fanboy Planet, and we talk about something on this podcast that you would like to own for your very self, and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, please use the Amazon search box that is on fanboyplanet.com. Each and every podcast has its own page, each episode, I should say. And sometimes we actually link directly to some things. We might, you know, I'm going to ask Rick, for example... Uh, in one of our stories tonight, we might want to curate some key pieces of work that people might be interested in picking up oh, through yeah. Amazon. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I think you do too. I just don't want to 
tip too much there, but of course, we also have an affiliation with Think Geek. So if there's something that you find in the ads on the sidebar for Fanboy Planet from Think Geek and go through, we also get a small remuneration there. And if you just like to help support uh, or defray, I guess is the better way to say it, uh, defray the cost of doing the podcast and hosting the site, you can, of course, go to PayPal and just donate directly to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. I, I actually, you know, I welcome the criticism. I want to know. Uh, obviously, we <laughs> we haven't even begun officially, and I suspect we'll get at least two things wrong tonight because we just do. I, don't, I, I haven't counted up the errors. We do average. But, you know, there are corrections, and every time or we forget something and go, fine. Although, Rick, you are, you are sitting in a computer. You're getting very fast with the guy. Uh, what would we say? The research, really quick, on the yeah, fly. I, I lay the click, click, click of the keyboard. It sounded an after. That's a post effect, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Anyway. <laughs> because you have a silent keyboard? No, anyway. I, have, I have a very clicky keyboard. <laughs> so, anyway, let us then get to... Uh, I think, really, the top story tonight is that uh, today... It was announced via Twitter by Christine Vallada, who was uh, the widow of Len Wein, had been asked by Harlan Ellison's family to tweet uh, the announcement that Harlan Ellison, fantastic writer, uh, definitely, a, I should say, a specialization in science fiction, though he really, from many accounts, seemed to really prefer to be called just a writer because he certainly was an essayist. He was a television writer and he worked in many genres. And I guess what you say, like Kurt Vonnegut, straightforward fiction as well. Um, Harlan Ellison uh, passed away in his sleep today at the age of 84. And perhaps he had not been in great health as, as uh, Rick and I were talking earlier. You mentioned that, um, he had had a heart attack. He had a heart attack 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah. And, yeah. It was about the time, I can find out when it was, when, when Slippage was published. Well, I don't, yeah. I don't know that the time of his heart attack is important. Instead, let us talk about the impact on, uh, on society, <laughs> on the, the genre he's had on fandom and on our culture that he had. Uh, because, you know, when I say sci-fi, he did begin with uh he wrote a book about being in a gang a nonfiction work in yep. the 50s was how, how we got to start after being kicked out of college because as pro- professors said or left college perhaps professors said that he would never be a writer and he proved them wrong and one thing i remember vividly reading i guess it was isaac asimov's best science fiction you know most of my science fiction exposure in, in uh, my younger years was through the sci-fi book club. And I had this essay, and they were introducing, I think the story may have been the very famous, I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream, was in a collection of short stories that uh, Isaac Asimov had curated. And one of the things said was, I will always remember that Isaac Asimov said, there was this young punk named Harlan Ellison running around Worldcon, and I... <laughs> I think it was Robert Silverberg who turned to me and said, let's kill him now. And (laughs) yes, yes, that is, uh, I'm glad they didn't because he went on to write the city on the edge of forever for star Trek, the uh, twilight zone or the outer limits episode, right? Demon with a glass hand. Uh, And also a soldier and soldier, uh, both of which were sort of ripped off for James Cameron's the terminator, 
which Harlan Ellison sued and successfully so uh, James Cameron to to get credit. So uh, when the Terminator first came out, he was not given a story credit. Uh, when the Terminator made it to home video, Harlan Ellison was given story credit at the end. And a special thanks to Harlan Ellison and his work. I believe Demon with a Glass Hand was also adapted into a one of uh, a graphic novel by DC in their short-lived sci-fi graphic novel series. In the it 80s. was indeed. It was indeed. And, yeah. Uh, so, it's actually quite. A, it's uh, been out of print for a while. Um, going for as high as fifty-two bucks now. Yeah. Oh yeah, somewhere I think I have it. Uh, I know I have it. Yeah, and uh, IDW did a, a comic of uh, City on the Edge of Forever, five issues, adapting his actual original screenplay and working right. directly with right. him. Because infamously, despite that winning Hugo for best short form presentation back in '67, I, I believe is is the correct year for it. Sounds right. Uh, you know, he Second said there season. were there were so first season. Uh, first according to the articles I read, yeah, okay. but it was there were so many notes from Gene Roddenberry, so many changes, and they fought infamously for many, many years. And he claimed that they had ruined his script. I thought once I read the IDW, I could I could see the major changes, and it's one of those things where, of course, I was so familiar yeah. with the episode as filmed that it was it was fascinating. I need to buy. I know they did a hardcover collection of the whole thing i'd like to sit down and read it all at once and and really enjoy it but he had also published it published his original screenplay in a book of, i think seven seven science fiction plays and, and of course he had dangerous visions and again dangerous visions and then i guess it's never actually it never actually got pu- published the last dangerous visions anthology no it was solicited I mean, he i mean he was editor and so he was uh, going to other authors and stuff and there's it's kind of legendary the number of people who who had things for it, but it just never came to give, came to be. Okay, well, appropriately enough, uh, let us celebrate uh, that there is still he has one book yet unpublished, which is coming out this fall, and so that that is cool that he that there there will still be a chance to celebrate Harlan Ellison's work. And regardless, uh, you know, another thing that I will always treasure, though I never met Harlan Ellison, we did. Uh, run an interview on Fanboy Planet with him many, many years ago, which I posted, reposted to uh, the Facebook page today because uh, it was actually Jason Sachs interviewed Harlan Ellison, but not about Harlan Ellison's work. Harlan wanted to tout his friend, writer Clifford Meth. And so it was a conversation about Cliff Meth's work. And through through that interview, though I never met Harlan, I became friends with Cliff Meth, and I've been really grateful for that as well. So I owe Harlan Ellison a debt of gratitude for that, even though I never met him face-to-face. But at a convention in the middle days of the Internet, so sort of like in the dot-com boom time, uh, he was on a panel with Chris Garcia, who was who believed that everything should be on the uh, internet for free all content oh, yeah and uh well, Nelson, by the way sued aol yes uh for for reprinting his work without his permission oh i was and harlan, uh, yeah were you there harlan no, Ellison turned yeah, there were people, called people chris garcia to, the devil people who were trying to convince harlan that they were doing him a favor by by making him more popular by making his his writing more uh, available to people who couldn't afford it this is like the most insane discussions. I was on AOL at the time and just insanely stupid, uh, insanely stupid arguments, which is just fodder for, was fodder for Ellison to just tear them apart. 
Right. And so on a panel uh, that he and Chris Garcia were deb- having a spirited Bake- debate. It was a bacon panel. And-, and he turned to Chris and said, this man is the devil. And I think we've learned that's possibly Probably true. true. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my post today is that I hope there is a heaven for Harlan Ellison because he already met the devil and that was Chris Garcia. So, so th- there's a there's a lot of a lot of things to touch on too about Harlan. I mean, he wrote a lot of one of my th- favorite things about his books was the introductions he would write because they're very personal, very interesting. But he wrote introductions for other people's books. He wrote the introduction for The Rocketeer. Um just mm-hmm. lay, laying uh, laying great uh, adulation on uh, Dave Stevenson, and then um, if you look at if you look through, it's not hard to find lists of things he's written, but among those are letters to comic writers. He um, he wrote uh, uh, letters to Swamp Thing and to uh, just uh, oh god. I'm and you to... mentioned, but he also wrote some comic, didn't he write? Some issues of the Avengers. He wrote uh, at least two uh, Avengers issues. One that was 60. about uh, having to kill five people to save tomorrow, and the other one was a um, uh, a, a lot of vignettes that all had different Ellison short story titles as their intermediary chapter titles. And then he okay. also wrote uh, the Beast that Shouted Love at the Heart of the Atom. Um which is kind of a noteworthy uh, issue all altogether because that's also the one that introduces the Hulk's microverse where he finds his first true right, love. Right, he Jarella. wrote the Hulk, Jarella, the Green yeah. Girl. So, um, you know, let's you and I, uh, through the magic of Evernote, maybe, we, like I say, curate some of what we think would be the important work and we'll include that on the uh, podcast page if you're interested, direct links and, and, and make it because it's easy to just kind of go in and type Harlan Ellison in Amazon or Barnes and Noble or what have you. But, you know, uh, I think you more than I have some expertise in having read, I've read a lot of his stuff, but it has been a long time. Yeah. And so, you know, I think you amongst your books, it may be more vivid and real and, and I think, you know, deeper into the sci-fi fandom we might put together a you know a, a good starting point if you were to get into Harlan Ellison, you know where to begin. Certainly, that IDW uh, graphic novel adaptation of, of his script of uh, of City on the Edge of Forever is is a nice piece, but there's so much more to Harlan. Oh, Phoenix and, Without Ashes too. That was the uh, the see there you go. So let's just put him in there. Let Star- that be a yeah. let them be let that be a surprise and let us get moving through because okay. there's a lot you know a lot to talk about tonight and i think you could devote an entire episode to Harlan ellison yeah this, a- this didn't this didn't hit me emotionally as strong as like oh when uh ray bradbury died or when um you know but it it did hit me today because i i he was a he well was you've such, met him such an influential yeah <laughs> and i wrote that story up <laughs> it's an issue yeah. of the think tank uh, the, not the drink tank, not the think tank. Woo. No, there's no thinking involved. No, no thinking involved in the drink tank. I almost just spilled my drink as a result. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. That's for Sal Pizarro. Uh, you know, so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I do want to say what would have been the top story if unfortunately this passing had not happened was that DC announced or DC Entertainment revealed more plans for DC Universe, their streaming service. No price point, but right now, 
you can go to the website, and I've got an article on Fanboy Planet with the link to it, and you can sign up to be considered to be a beta tester of it. So I think that they're going to go uh, beta testing with it in August. They're going to wait through Comic-Con and probably do a bigger event to really, really announce. But it's not just video streaming, which is interesting. I don't think they're there where I want them to be, but I, you know, I don't know if you went onto the site and explored a bit, but they are promising a new, like they say, a state-of-the-art comics reader, and they are curating a collection so I don't think it's quite the DC version of Marvel Comics Unlimited because I think the comics are still limited yeah. to what they think specifically people would want to read instead of, but, you know, and you were on Marvel Comics Unlimited earlier than I was. Yeah. I don't think that where I see that service right now, I don't think it was there when they started. It, you know? uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was, um, I think what they, they did was more time-based you know, as far as how far back they went, mm-hmm. and you know, and I and I see them loading up every week. You know, there's like this week's new comics, yeah, which are actually six months old. But then there's always a healthy selection of, like sometimes it's '90s, sometimes it's '70s. There's stuff yeah. going back to the yeah. '60s. Yeah. They've loaded up a few things from the '40s, and they've said like Action Comics number one will be on this, Detective Comics number twenty-seven. Uh, Jeff Johns run on Justice League, of course, you know, and so things that right now are what would be seminal stories, really crucial for your knowledge of the DC universe, perhaps. But like I said, I think give it time, it might expand out to be a, a wider service and just really have back catalogs of, of many things. But it's it, interesting. It is, it is an interesting concept because one of their banner things has been must read comics. Mm-hmm. And we we always talk about you know what is what do people have to where do they go to find out the back history for any of the, any of these given books, and I think you particularly use uh, the Marvel Unlimited for that, and it's it's definitely something that DC has has needed for a while because and I think but what's interesting is that it's being built into one service where you will be able to see to watch Titans Swamp Thing right Doom Patrol spun out of Titans Young Justice Outsiders. Harley Quinn, I can't think of what the other, I know there's another series coming there, uh, because there are so many, uh, the, the, plus movies, they mentioned Batman, they showed Batman Returns, Superman the movie is going to be involved there. Did you say Young uh, Justice Outsiders? Outsiders, yeah, the yeah. new, the third season of Young Justice. That yeah. that was that that was the first thing long, uh, announced, and then suddenly this Titans live action series came, and, and you know, I mean, they're creating stuff out of what other networks had passed on, like Netflix had a shot at that chose not to right so that that went there um tnt i think was offered or was interested in titans and that's why they started developing it and then they passed and so it's it's going here and it doesn't mean it's a bad show at all it just means tnt decided that's not where they were going but uh you know that's interesting that there are these movies they've put batman the animated series bruce tim paul dini into and Alan Burnett, and probably more that I'm missing, but you know, it's been remastered in a high def. That's going to be available. The Linda Carter Wonder Woman series will be in high def for the first time. So I think some things are being pulled from other streaming services, and this, if they're beating Disney with, to the streaming service gate, which I think they are, you know, we're seeing what was a no-brainer. Of course we're going to see things pulled from the other services so that they can be 
focus through this streaming service. They did not mention a price point. But in addition to having a comics reader and uh, a view, uh, a movie and television viewer in one, there is also there'll be other like fan based programming, interview shows, that kind of thing, talking DC or whatever DC All Access. That's accessible through there. There is a social media component built into the into the interface as well. So you'll have message boards, chat rooms, uh, probably the ability to message each other, and gee, because you know you can leave no money on the table. Will also be the DC Universe store. So you can order things directly through, which I think you can do on MCU, right? I mean, if you go onto the website on your PC or, or, or Mac or even on your tablet, right, I think you can st- you could order things more than just reading comics digitally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Almost, uh, every, almost everyone in the book says, do you want to buy this one now that you've read it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, I mean, I think statues, T-shirts, clo- you know, yeah, other yeah. clothing, that's all going to be available through this DC Universe app. I'm guessing the price point is going to be about $15, but it's strictly a guess, strictly, strictly a guess, uh, because if you combine, combine, you, you know, it's the, the deal of Marvel Comics Unlimited, if you pay month to month, is nine ninety nine, Yeah. and I think the cheapest CBS All Access is six ninety nine. that's the one that still includes commercials, so... Yeah, I think, you know, you, you combine those and you get 15. It's coming, and I encourage you to go to dcuniverse.com and and sign up for the newsletter and to see if you can get a beta and check it out. Um, I signed up. We'll see if I get in <laughs> to do beta, but it, it, it's really interesting. So I'm looking forward to it because I want to see the Swamp Thing series. I really, really, really want to see the Swamp Thing series. Did you, uh, did you read about the... Uh the bridge from Teen Titans to Doom Patrol through Cyborg? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, it's not just that, because Doom Patrol characters who had already been announced as coming through. Why would why would Doom Patrol bridge through Cyborg if you've got Beast Boy and Titans? Yeah. I, I don't know, but Beast Boy is not uh, not mentioned in the... Because they had... In the, he's not mentioned at all in the Doom Patrol list of characters. Because the original, well, yeah, but the original he was plan, one of the original ones, yeah, right. But Cyborg is not listed as a as a character in Teen Titans or in Titans, and but originally when they announced Titans, they had put out casting for uh, Rita Farr. I don't know if you can call her Elastigirl anymore. I think Elastigwoman is how it's being referred to. Okay, yes, but they're crossing it, over, so they got Crazy Jane in there too. Right, but she's in Doom Patrol. So the the thing is that. Uh, that they had already established that, that that they that Titans was going to be. I think the surprise is that Doom Patrol was going to get its own series. They had already been yeah. well known as being. They were going to appear like Hawk and Dove. You know the the explanation today would say make Hawk and Dove seem like regulars, but they're not. They are supposed to be occasional, just as they were in the in the comics. So that you know that makes that makes a lot of sense, and we. You know, we'll see what it is. I, I have high hopes, and you know, I'm going to at least give it a a month try. Let's see if they how much how much of my soul they're going to to demand. <laughs> not, but let, just your money, not your soul. Okay, well, you know, that's that's okay. Yeah, well, I'm torn between between, of course, DC and Disney, and uh, DC is also making another, I think, great effort. This is kind of DC centric today. That uh, they announced last week that they because 
a format that you and I have talked about a lot, especially complaining that DC Comics were about to raise their, the price of many of their books to three ninety nine after a big deal about holding the line at two ninety nine. That was about ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, oh yeah. God. Rebirth's two years old. New Fifty Two is probably seven years ago, but still. I, but they have held it, and Wonder Woman and The Flash, or I'm hoping they go back down to monthly, are being raised officially, they announced today, as the first two titles of their main uh, core books as being raised to three ninety nine. While at the same time, if you have a Walmart close to you, they announced last week that they're doing four titles that will be 100-page super spectaculars, just like we used to pay 50 cents for on the stands uh, at 7-Eleven or Rexall or wherever else you got your Long's Drugs, maybe. I don't know. Uh, wherever you got your, your books when you were a kid. And they're four ninety nine. That's not a bad price point for 100 pages of comics. The thing that has comic book store owners up in arms is that each one of these four titles will feature an ongoing, as a lead, lead story, an ongoing serialized story from top creators that are exclusive to the 100-page Super Spectacular. So there's a Superman, there's a Teen Titans, there's a Batman, Tom King's writing, I think it's like 10 issues of, of, of but they're like 10-page stories each. Right, right. And then it's filled with reprints from books that are of recent, you know, recent years, and I'm sure they'll be reprinting storylines, ongoing storylines. But the goal is to, especially in cities and towns where people don't have access to a comic shop, and there are, you know, many of those. Bleeding Cool has been running a feature where they mention, they, they tell you when a comic shop is closing down. And from a high... I think in like 2005 or so, there were like 7,000 shops, and now it's under 3,500. Yeah. And, you know, so there are a lot of places that people are obviously into, into at least the characters of comics because they're going to the movies and watching the TV shows, but they don't have access to the books unless they know exactly like, you know, going to Amazon. Where well, I think when we were kids, the samplers, those books that had a bunch of different stories in them. Yes. Were what got us hooked into it because you could sit for hours pouring over five or six different adventures with different characters yes. that somehow knew each other, you know? Yeah. So, so I would say, by the way, comic book store frequenters, and if you don't have a Walmart near you, and there are also many cities where you don't have a Walmart near you, DC hasn't been clear on it, but I'm going to suspect that they're going to. Uh, you know, reprint these stories into collections for direct, the direct market as well. And it's probably be a better read that way. But I have also heard that there are comic book store owners that are planning excursions to Walmart to buy these up. And I'm kind of annoyed by that. If the purpose of this is to get people into reading, it's yeah, the collector but, mentality that's going to kill it. You, you, it's the purpose of a comic book store to find comics for their readers. And if, if DC doesn't understand that, um, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's just a natural thing that, that people are going to go and buy more than they need because they know they can sell them elsewhere because they're limited. I, I don't want to go to Walmart. I'd pay somebody to go buy them for me. So I'll just let that stand. Cause I go to Walmart all the time. 
um, because there are towns where that you know that is that's, that's the deal, and, and that's uh, I'd rather see those comics there, you know, that stuff that I think will excite imagination than you know I don't know I see a lot of national inquirers I see uh, they're doing better with their books, and you know I'm I'm surprised that Target ha- isn't striking a similar deal with somebody, but you know it's just like Archie struck a deal with Marvel they're doing digests. Yeah. And it's all reprints, and you know that's in grocery stores. That's that's how you get people into it. No, totally. If it was all reprints, but it's that one brand new book, and that's what drives drives collectors crazy. It's that one I, brand, brand new I story know. in that book. But I'm saying, you know, look, the thing is, we're 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 going back into a speculators market. Like I I so have seen this uh, one of my potential recommendations this week is already like at $12 on eBay, but it goes really fast. Like, you know, I, I'm back to when Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man number one came out or when action were in Superman number 75, the death of Superman and how many copies of that. And, 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 and don't take offense. You may have only bought one. I only bought one, but I have about six copies because people gave me, a, gave it right, to me as a gift, right. assuming that it was going to be worth a lot. And it's not. And you know, that's, that's the thing is I, I just feel like, look, you're, if you want to read it for the story, then I'm sure that they're going to get you the story. If not in this hundred page super spectacular, it's going to come to you. It could be digitally it could, or it could be in a trade paperback, a hundred pages. Maybe there's a four ninety nine That's just the story. Once it's all wrapped up and goes into the direct market and then they have their own collectible made up. If it's only available to the direct market, and there are ways to to solve it, but you know, taking it away from the people who they're trying to reach, because if you're, what I've heard is people are talking about crossing state lines. Because there are states that don't have WalMarts, so if you cross to those, <laughs> and then that state can't get it, you know, that's uh, what was I that? What was that act about crossing state lines for illegal comics? Yeah, I think I I, I don't yeah. know, but I think yeah, <laughs> you act as if laws mean anything right now, <laughs> but. <laughs> But still, I have hopes for them. Anyway, but that's, you know, that's it. Uh, and back on, you know, we we haven't mentioned Brian Michael Bendis in a couple of weeks, I think. He gave an interview this week talking about the difference between creator-owned books. And I don't think he was taking a shot at Marvel, but it was more that he was saying that, you know, when you read Scarlet and Powers and uh, I can't think of some of the other titles that were coming out when he was writing for Marvel, they were a little behind, but he said, you know, the difference between doing a creator-owned line through DC and through doing it through Marvel is the Jinx world at DC is an imprint they're actually getting behind to support. That's part of the deal, really promoting, whereas Marvel was, well, reasonably, Disney, why should Disney, and I've heard this before, why should Disney spend the money to promote a book that they only get a very small distribution fee for when they've got so many books that they get all the money for. And so he was commenting that he promises that the books he releases through Jinx World at DC will be much, uh, you'll be seeing them more often. They'll be closer to schedule because you really have to get your S together when they're actually, when the publisher is actually caring about whether or not the book comes out. So So the, the big red S not the big red s it's the return of scarlet uh did you ever read that book uh i i know i've read some issues no you said the bit and they have to get their s together 
<laughs> yes, it's a big red. Ass. Well, it's a big brown ass, really. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> anyway, so High Hopes was the first book. Uh, one of the other books is Cover, and and uh, about an undercover comic book creative team that's become spies for the government. And there's some fun stuff that, that looks like it's coming. And of course, I, I think you're going to see the return of powers. You're going, as I think we mentioned already digitally, that they a few months ago DC had announced, you know, that all the the books like uh, AKA Goldfish and Jinx, uh, why it's called Jinx World, uh, were available digitally. And I think you're going to see nice DC collections of those as well. And uh, so let's say let's talk about books that you can get this week, not just waiting for Bendis to get them out there, but What's in the bag, Rick? What's in your bag this week? Okay, so first book in my bag is a number one, as uh, so many of ours have been recently, but it's actually part five. <laughs> so I'm just like this uh, prelude to the wedding, Batman number one, Harley ah. Quinn versus the Joker. Um, I have been very selective about which of these I've been buying because they're all one shots. They don't matter. Um, so I'm only But they buying- still could be good. The, the, and this one's actually good. It's okay. it's we we get uh, another round, as it were, of uh, insights into the relationship between the Joker and Harley Quinn. Um, and right now, their relationship is kind of um, uh, it's not a healthy relationship. It's never been a healthy relationship, but it's definitely um, one where each one is trying to prove different things to the other through different death traps and violence and. Uh, very witty, witty banter. I, I enjoyed this book. I don't buy Harley Quinn, so uh, when I do run into her, it's a it's a pleasure. But I just I the book itself, I think, is just too over the top for me. Um, and uh, the Joker in this is actually kind of interesting, and the the perils that are are displayed are are kind of fun. Even even the introduction to this, it's a couple of street kids in this uh, in this kind of area where. <laughs> Where they go, it's notorious for um, these these abandoned warehouses are notorious for being taken over by supervillains and turned into death traps, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and of course, then there's a banging on a silo, a grain silo next to them, and out of it spills the Joker, um, who's just escaped from a death trap. Um, I this the, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing what DC is going to do with this crazy whole crazy wedding thing because it's it's in this the joker is definitely saying batman is marrying catwoman which i think is all that they're they can't go selena kyle and right and bruce wayne but that's what it said in the 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 cardboard handouts of like mm-hmm. wedding invitations you know, the selena kyle will be marrying marrying bruce wayne at such and such a time um so it's just this is just a fun little romp. Um, it's nice not to have something that isn't, you know, metal down uh, for eighteen. Issues. Oh, but I've been enjoying metal. Oh no, hey, yeah, but it's some. Of, uh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, you you can drink you, you can you can drink uh, that that heavy uh, heavy heavy uh, alcohol, and then every now and then you just want a spritzer. So. That's that's it. This is the Spritzer comic. Are you are you reading this while wearing a white linen suit and a, a, a straw hat? Perhaps it's cool. It's it's. Warm are you day. on the veranda? It's a warm day. It's a warm day. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to go with a number two then, uh, because you're right. We've done and almost everything else I've got is number one. But because we didn't talk about the the first issue of this, speaking of romps, 
Lando, Double or Nothing, the Star Wars Lando Calrissian solo right, book, right, right. focusing absolutely on the Donald Glover portrayal, and writer uh, Rodney Barnes with artist Paolo Villanelli as the artist and Andre Mosa as colorist. Um, they've got it down. This is, again, uh, you know, bef- clearly before the events of the movie Solo, but... Uh, and very clearly modeled after Donald Glover's portrayal or the Kasdan script uh, of who Lando Calrissian was as a young man. It is just fun, and the character is arrogant and silly and funny. And, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, you know, we're saying, like, Donald Glover was playing this caricature of Billy Dee Williams, but I could see that this is who he was, and he calmed down a bit by the time you got to Empire Strikes Back. But as we said, watching the movie, we loved that portrayal. We loved that character, and this is like reading the old uh, the books by uh, I want to say L. Neil Smith. Um, I know one of them is the Mind Harp of Sheru, uh, the novels way back in the mid '80s, and this is fun. And I was I just loved coming back to reminding myself that I occasionally like these solo stories no pun intended, yeah. of those, uh, seriously, no pun intended, of these Star Wars characters, and what a really fun book. I don't think that Marvel has made a false step with the Star Wars books. No, no. There's some, there's some that have been not as good. I would say that... But I, even I, if they even if they weren't as good, that's right. like... They're still uh, better than, than anything that's come before them, and I'm including the beloved Dark Horse. Yeah, well, this is this is praising with faint damnation, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> because these are, you know, even the Chewbacca one, which I always say is like that book should not have worked, and it was still fun. It was, you fun, know, yeah. and so and the Lando is too. So go next in your stack. Next in my stack is another number one. Who Ooh. could have thought it? And um, it's no secret that I like hard case crime. I, I, I like. Oh, good. I'm glad. I like, I'm glad you're choosing this. I like Titan Comics. Um, uh, when you put them both together, you get some amazingly good stuff going on. And this week we get Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. And Mike Hammer is, it's probably not as well known to kids today, um, but he, Mike Hammer's had movies and TV series. Stacy Keach. Stacy Keach was in, in, uh, in uh, I can't remember which, which they, he, I think they did two stories with Stacy Keach. No, 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 he had, he had both he TV movies and a series. Oh, that's right. Okay, so yeah. um, uh, this is an adaptation of uh, Mickey Spillane's The Night I Died, uh, written by Spillane and Max Allen Collins, actually written by Collins because Spillane's right, dead. dead. <laughs> yes. um, and, but Collins is, uh, is noteworthy because half of, the, half of the Mike Hammer books that are out there um, are, 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 are written by Max Collins because from um notes Outlined. left behind by mickey spillane and yeah. this and i just happened to and you know this is this why this hits on all cylinders for me this has a cover by robert mcginnis oh you got that cover good i was going to ask if you did yeah and because i read that i read that book uh yesterday as well it's a and. fabulous cover and the storyline is just hard hitting and um i just you know love- i'm i'm gonna say if if again i i really enjoyed it because i'm you know, obviously, it is from one of his stories. The art was very technically good. It yes. didn't flow well for me. It was almost everybody was too smooth. 
Yeah, I think that's. If I'm looking at a, at a picture of Splane right now, and he almost looks like you draw him as a as an android. You know. Yeah, Mike um, Hammer, not Mike Hammer, not Splane. Yeah, yeah Splane's probably not as smooth. Um, the Hammer, I, I, and yeah, I I will buy. The, I will give you that, and that has been the case for most of these hard case uh, stories. I'm trying to think of the one that also let me down. Well, the 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 girl who handcuffed Houdini uh, has much better covers than the interior art. Um, and, and yet a good story. I and, really and, enjoyed but that the, book. Yeah. the art, the art is good enough. That what the stories you are know, absolutely great. And Mike hammer, if you're not, if you've not read Mike hammer before you get a lot of these, uh, detective noir things where the detective is kind of like a damaged guy and he's always second guessing himself. He's always, uh, he's, he's never quite sure what side he's on. Sometimes hammer has no lack of confidence. He is, he is ready. He hits the ground running. He knows what he's about and he is a violent man. It's Um, pure hard boiled. It's pure hard case crime. Yeah, it is. So highly, highly recommend this book. Good. Well, I, on my stack, or in my bag, well, yeah, I have a bag around here somewhere, uh, is I'm not positive that I'm actually giving this a, uh, you know, this is a qualified recommendation. Uh, first, uh, I'm seeing the imprint on the side of DC, you know, they're doing sublines here. So there's New Justice, and the top is from the events of No Justice. And really, by the way, the tie-in to No Justice is that every story in this book has a little asterisk that says, you should really, you really should check out No Justice, which was fun. Was that this four, is, that was just four issues, or that was it just five? four issues? It was four issues, I, and then I, it's spinning out and everything else. I, I think, think you'll I missed, enjoy it. I, I I think I picked up two out of the four, and I don't think I got them in sequence, so I need to go shopping. Yeah, I think you do. I think it. I think it's fun. It's just. Oh, I enjoyed the two I read. Yeah. You know, I, I think that Scott Snyder is going through that whole Grant Morrison thing of when you're dealing with this many heroes, the action is almost too big for the book. Yes. And I kind of like that, where you feel like maybe you missed something, but maybe you didn't. It's just there's so much going on. But this is actually Teen Titans special, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, that apparently on eBay already it's it's 12 bucks because it's featuring uh, Lobo's daughter uh, is hinted a first appearance. First appearance. But really, it's just one page. Come on, guys. This is what I'm talking about. Is uh, what, what is her name? Oh, they don't give the name uh, her name here. And there's, there's no story about her. There's instead three stories, one with Kid Flash, Red Arrow, and Damien. And so here's my here's my qual- qualifying of this. Aside from, it, you really didn't need to read No Justice to get into it, although I recommend No Justice, is these are really... Let me go with the positives first. You sometimes forget that Damien is Middle Eastern. And this is a story that remi- the story there reminds us that he is. And I and I think that's not played up enough in publicity that you know you've got this you know good role model except Damien as he's been written the last couple of years he's not that good. You know, he's not the character that he was that we loved. He's become a caricature of what Grant Morrison created and what uh, you know the guys that were writing Batman and Robin after Grant Morrison. Oh, doggone yeah. it! Um, you know Patrick Gleason was the artist and Mick Ray was the was the inker. Uh, sorry, Patrick Patrick Gleason was the penciler and Mick Ray was the inker. And who was the writer? Doggone it! But you know they really made Damien this fun character. My son loved him. 
And you know, the last couple of stories that my son has read with with Damien in them, and yeah, granted, you know, Luke's older, but he's like, Damien's just being a jerk. And they keep forgetting to give that softness or that care because it was funny that he was so in in control of himself or believing that he was that they've really amped that up. And if the story itself isn't funny, he's just kind of a jerk. And so they're setting up a much darker teen Titans that every one of these stories involves people dying. And so my qualification here is if a kid likes the idea of teen Titans, especially if they're coming to it from like teen Titans go, this is a really dark and violent book. And it's not bad, and the stories are good. I've just never liked when Teen Titans was a book about not having hope. Yeah, I, I kind of am with you on that. I I bought the first couple of issues where um, where Damien went in to take over Teen Titans, and that was funny. You know, it, it was it was funny, but it was still bothering me a bit. I just didn't. I, I didn't feel like he was learning from. <laughs> From, from his father, from uh, you know, from right? I guess that you, you know that is exactly what it is. That that's what bothers me is in the they they've put him in stasis as a character, yeah, because they think people like that. But what I what I have always responded to in Damien was, you know, look, he he had the choice of being the world's greatest assassin or the world's greatest detective or the, you know, world's greatest, and he chose to stay with his father. That's what made the character right. interesting. And yes, of course he's warring with an instinct to do the expedient bad thing, but, but the good side wins. We need that. And I, you know, it. I bought this to see, cause you know, was a number one. And I, I do like the concept of teen Titans and I liked Damien. And then I read this and just went, I'm not even liking this version of Wally West and suicide squad makes an appearance too. And there's death here. And, um, so I believe there's an audience for this book or they wouldn't have made it, but this is officially, I think I'm done with teen Titans till the next time they try, they do something (laughs) with, no, I mean, because they they cycle through this, you know, and that's, They, you, and, know, you know, who speak- doesn't learn from their mistakes? DC editorial. They go dark, the book gets canceled. Then they come back with a light, exciting version, and then people buy into it, and then they go, now we're going to darken it up. And, you know, so do I, it with I, other characters. Create your I own wanted, characters. I, I wanted uh, a, a, a couple of scenes that came out in Batman uh, a few issues back. It was uh, Batman and, and Catwoman go to uh, visit uh, Talia Lagoul um, to kind of clear... Uh, Catwoman's name, uh, and in that, Batman takes off without telling the boys where he's going. Ro- uh, Alfred spills the beans, and Robin and Nightwing head off to you know back him up, but they they can't get in. So they're sitting basically they're sitting on the steps of the uh, of the castle where all the action's happening, and they have one of the best Batman and Robin. And I mean that seriously, Batman and Robin moments, because it went all the way back to when Nightwing was Batman. And mm-hmm. when they begrudgingly became a team. And the dialogue is so good. And the characters right. are so human at that point. And that shows you what you can do with that character and keeping it keep it within the scope of character development and not right. have to make it into a caricature. 
Right. Yeah. So, and, and that's it. Uh, that was where it was handled well. I could not believe, I could not see Dick Grayson working with Damien now. I could after this. Uh, I, I, well, with the right writer, but I don't yeah, think yeah. that what they're, what DC editorial is dictating. What they're doing the in some of the working. books, yeah. But I think, yeah. I, yeah, I suspect we're looking at two different editors on two different books and yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's but, next on your stack? Not on my stack, but since you mentioned that uh, you had a, a book uh, go to number uh, number one and big seller on eBay because it had the daughter of a uh, a very important villain in DC. Well, Marvel did the same thing this month with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur introduces Princess Fisk, the Kingpin's new daughter. Okay, well that should I, be on eBay for fifteen bucks. Yeah. I didn't. I did not read this book. It is not on my stack. But it, since you mentioned, it just seems kind of, kind of. Did they plan this? Was this uh, to go up against Lobo's daughter? Will it be Fisk versus uh, whatever Lobo's daughter's name is? Um, I can't remember because yeah. they don't actually name her in the Teen Titans. Yeah, but what made my week this week was uh, was a hardback original graphic novel from Dark Horse. A Study in Emerald, adapting the story by Neil Gaiman. Yes. Did you pick it up? No, no, I pre- I, I ordered it. Okay. So it should be it should be in my ba- in my box at Elusive Comics. Uh, you know, I'm in LA this week, so I, I do limit. I don't pick up stuff that I think I ordered, and but I think actually right. Steve and right. I had that conversation. I said, yes, I'm going to buy that book. So please go ahead. Yeah. So this is it's from the Neil Gaiman Library, which has brought us stories like. How to Talk to Girls at Parties, Troll Bridge, Creatures of the Night, um, American Gods, all the all the books that uh, that have been adapted for um, by by uh, Dark Horse, and A Study in Emerald is a rather short short story that was actually published, I believe, on Gaiman's website, and it's published as a PDF to look like an issue of The Strand. Um, so, but multi, I, I, I think columns. it is in. It's in either Fragile Creatures. I mean, it, it, I, I know what you've been, done is... It's also been... It was originally published to look like an artifact of mm-hmm. the period that it's written in, which is wonderful. And then it's been republished strictly as a prose uh, a prose set. But one of the things you miss in that prose are it is... Interspersed in it are a bunch of uh, advertisements for period-esque products that... And it's, it's, it's a study in Emerald, which is takes on the premises premise of uh victorian is it victorian yeah yes it's victorian. sherlock yeah, holmes queen victoria it's 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 in the holmes we don't say that word um we it's in in it's in the uh the time of uh of victoria yeah and, there are things about it i want to see in comic adaptation to see how it worked because i right. think one of the things that made that story beautiful was the assumptions you make reading and filling in in your head. Yes, and that that it, that does carry carry across very well in this because uh, it's no, no spoiler that the premise of this is seven hundred years before the great old ones, the Cthuloid um, creatures that uh, mm-hmm. break through the wall fabric of dimensions, had broken through, conquered the Earth, and then went about exp- uh, convincing. Uh, humanity that it's better off this way and so uh, so like the real world yeah it's it's got a lot of parallels (laughs) Um, 
and the to uh, to say that this is a twisty story all the way through it, it is a great uh detective story it is a, an amazing um if you love like kim newman's work with uh, anna dracula or any of the the farmer um uh, stories and and the people who follow on about uh, taking characters uh, and making them more fantastic. You and know, I'm, re- I'm reminded, by the way, uh, you know, this, this, I am looking forward to this, but now you've tied it back to Harlan Ellison by mentioning Farmer. You realize that, that Harlan Ellison is also tied into the the Wold Newton universe. Personally or by an author and by authoring? By a farmer, because uh, when... <laughs> the, uh, because when he... Uh, did not like uh, what was done with his work. He would insist that it be credited Cord- to Cord Cordwainer Bird, Bird. Yeah. who is mentioned in both Tarzan Alive oh, yeah. and yeah. Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life uh, with the superpowered German shepherd named Ralph Von Wawa. Ralph Von Wawa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I forgot it's that. Yeah. funny you bring that around. I, I meant to, to say that because I, I love that. I, you know, when I was a kid, I did not know. I was looking for the books about Cordway and her bird because that sounded so ridiculous. Yes. And not knowing the history behind it because I'd read his apocalyptic life and Tarzan alive. So my, my, my volume of the star lost, uh, the original paperback is by Cordway and her bird. Yes. He just, and, he was not happy with that for whatever and, reason. Because whenever, whenever Ellison was not happy with the publisher, he gave them the bird. Yes. 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 So I'm going to go to my last in the bag. And uh, I, you're, we're going from this great literature uh, with Neil Gaiman to uh, I don't know if you caught because I feel like this like snuck under the radar, but because we're fr- we're friends on Facebook, I knew it was coming, and it's the only reason I bought it. John Layman, friend of the Fanboy Planet podcast, uh, wrote Charlie's Angels number one from Dynamite Comics this week. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> and I, I admit I was not a huge fan. Of Charlie's Angels as a kid, like I watched a couple of episodes and I thought the movie update, you know, whatever revisit because it didn't invalidate the original series right, right. was fun. But uh, he goes back to the original three and writes a is writing a fun story that I kind of hope is sillier than the series actually was. Is it done as a period piece? Yeah, it's done as this period piece, and maybe the series was this silly, but uh, it's involving, uh, uh, you know, drug deals and cartels and uh, a plot to kill President Carter. And <laughs> it's, uh, it was really fun. And I just, of a book that I don't think I would have picked up if I didn't know John, I'm really glad that I know John so that I would pick this up and had, had a little fun with it, you know, cool. reading it. So, um, it was not one again, not one that I would think was instinctively meant for comics, but it works. And the art, let me just give, give a shout out to Joe Eisma, who, uh, which I love in the credits. It says writer John Lehman, the flirty angel, artist <laughs> Joe Eisma, the brainy angel, and the colorist is Celeste Woods, the tough angel, and then the letterer Taylor Esposito is the second season replacement angel. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just. Uh, and then the editors are listed as the disembodied voice. Uh, so it's just, it, it's, it knows what it is. It's fun from beginning to end. And of course, if you know, you know, Layman is great with those kinds of, con- you know, Chew was a, you know, brilliant masterpiece. And this is kind of getting him back on, uh, you know, just 
like a fun palate cleanser for the next until the next big thing that he's doing. So uh, I recommend it. Like it could have snuck past you because it's not mentioned on the cover that he's the writer. Who and does the art? Who does the art? Like I said it was. Uh, let me go. I just threw this down. Joe Eisma. So it's not oh, as yeah. I don't know, but it's uh, kind of. It kind of looks like. Uh, uh, it was Kevin Guillory that did Chew. It's yeah. a it's a little more controlled. They're not quite as uh, exaggerated character physicalities, but uh, you know it's just. But like I said, they didn't they didn't really credit it on the beginning. It just is Team Plus. It's uh, nowhere in the advertisement. Advertisement doesn't just talk about Layman. So you know it's if you are a fan of John Layman and you're a listener to this podcast, you should seek out. Charlie's Angels, and if, even if you're not a listener of this podcast, I don't know how you're hearing me say this now, but uh, you know, do check out Charlie's Angels. Which so cover? Which cover did you get? Uh, I just bought whatever was at the top of the stack. Uh, so let me look in the in the back. What does it say that cover? Because I mean, it does seem like there were many fun ones. Um, oh, they have way too many covers, don't they? That's a, it's two pages. Uh, I have a cover B. So by Joe Eisma, which really, you know, I'm not a big fan of variant covers when the actual, I'd rather buy a book with the interior artist doing the cover so I know what I'm getting, the style yeah, that I'm yeah, getting. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, I, I like that. But there are some, there are some other good ones. So let's, uh, let's talk some movies. Today it has been released, uh, revealed that Indiana Jones 5 has been delayed. It's going to miss its shooting date. It will not be coming in 2020. But... Uh, part of it is because they're starting over with a script. Jonathan Kasdan, co-writer with his father, Lawrence, uh, of Solo, has been brought on as a screenwriter for Indiana Jones 5. So uh, though Spielberg and Harrison Ford both say they're they're completely intending to do this. It has been pushed back, and I don't know how much farther you can push it back. But it's, it's worth mentioning. I don't know. People write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com and tell me, are you excited about an Indiana Jones movie again? If it's Harrison Ford, or would you rather just let that one lie or, or reboot with a new actor who is not uh, Shia LaBeouf? Uh, you know, <laughs> let me know. Let us know. We can, can we can narrow talk it about down it. a little more. Well, you know, it was Emut. That was the character he was in right. the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, anyway, I, I did like what Jonathan Kasdan did with Solo. So, I think this. It could make for a good script. I, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm looking askance at Harrison Ford's ability to deliver on a, on a, shall we say, athletic, active Indiana Jones. I, I don't know. By the time they get to it, it's hard, hard to know. Just don't let them play any planes between now and then. That's all I can say. So, uh, Marvel released the title of the new Spider-Man, or Sony, I guess, did release the title of the next Spider-Man film in, I think, the funniest way possible. Did you see this? No, I did not. Okay, so uh, <laughs> the young man who plays Peter Parker, uh, who is infamous, oh, Tom, what's oh, what's his last name? It's all Tom. So it's Tom, Tom Hardy is Venom, Tom Hiddleston is Loki, and Tom... <laughs> oh, Damn. Holland. Tom Holland. They're all H's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Tom Holland is infamous for leaking spoilers accidentally in interviews. So he, on social media, he released a video of himself standing like, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, 
Uh, you know, Marvel doesn't want me to say anything, but I did get the script for the new Spider-Man movie, but that's all I can say. And then he's got his tablet, and on the tablet it says Spider-Man Far From Home. And so you can just see it, that he's, you know, i got to learn my lines, and he's got the script, and they released the title that way. They had Tom, Tom Holland, the uh, infamous spoiler, uh, <laughs> leak the, or the infamous leaker, I guess, uh, leak the title by, by making it seem as if he was accidentally flashing it to his fans on social media and, yeah. and not realizing he was doing it. But, yes, Marvel confirmed that that's what it is because, let's see, uh, Avengers 4 is coming out in uh, April or May of 2019 and Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, which will feature him uh, battling against Mysterio, still not confirmed to be Jake Gyllenhaal, but possibly, um, will be coming out in July of 2019. So he's got to get cracking. He's got to learn those lines. But uh, I thought that was funny. On the same token, Sony announced, and this one came out, I, I guess if I had known they were planning on this, I had forgotten that uh, they're moving forward with the production of Morbius, the living vampire. Yeah, a part of the Spider Verse, and Jared yeah. Leto is on board to play Morbius. Which that's good casting. Yeah, I kind of think it is. Like there is a good physical, re- though certainly different artists depending on the decade have drawn Morbius in very different ways. I yeah. was like looking, like what image should I pick? And it was like there's one where you know he's just kind of '90s Undertaker, WWE Morbius, and. I had forgotten. I don't think I ever read any of those Midnight Suns books that he was part of, but I liked the idea. I've, I've all, as even as a kid, loved the idea of the conflicted vampire, and who more conflicted than the one who never actually died to to become what he what he was. So, yeah. uh, and I, I don't know when I got that issue of one hundred and one uh, Amazing Spider Man one hundred and one that he was made his debut. And I know I yeah. bought it, I bought it as a I know I bought it as a back issue like at a flea market. But, man, I loved that story. I don't think I had ever encountered Morbius before that, maybe seen him in a house ad or something. And, you know, just a cool, cool story, a cool character. And, you know, I, I, moving forward to say if Venom works, I think, intelligently, you know, from Sony's perspective, Venom seems to be more horror, thriller-oriented than the other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies have been. And they're releasing it in October, so they might be shooting for Morbius to make the following Halloween and be the scary superhero movie for for the uh, Halloween season. Uh, and you know that's a that's a corner that Marvel really hasn't gone into. And and if Morbius works on top of Venom, it does kind of prove what I didn't think was possible, which is that the Spider Verse could be valid on its own, especially when you've got Into the Spider Verse coming. In December, and, and if it does what we think it will, which is establish that there are a lot of different dimensions, and so you can have all of these Spider-Men and all these, you know, there's one where Tom Holland can meet the Avengers, and that's the one owned by Marvel, and then there's one where Sony can play around, and maybe Tom Holland's in it, and maybe he's not, but there is a Spider-Man. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I don't know what the term, you know, we, the terms of the Fantastic Four were all the characters before a certain time period, and the same with X Men, right? Mm-hmm. But um, Spider Man of late has been um, almost like a team up book with a number of those heroes that get in, in, invented in that line. Um, and that, clearly, when you look at Spider Verse, that they have 
No, what do they call it? It's not. It's Ghost Spider, which is yeah. Spider Gwen. That you know, she's new enough. That deal, she was not in anybody's mind when Sony first started with those rights. So it's, I think it's kind of like the Swamp Thing deal that Michael Uslan made with DC, which DC really regretted. Not because, well, yeah, Uslan did a bad job um, with Return of the Swamp Thing, but you know that, that when he bought the rights to that because he wanted to prove that. He wanted to test that before he made a Batman movie because he really loved loved Batman. That the rights included that anything that would be created after that, after the point he bought them, would would be his. He could use those characters, which is why Return of the Swamp Thing uses some of Alan Moore's ideas. Yeah, and Alan Moore, she like I, I think that was the beginning of Alan Moore being pissed at Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. But I could pinpoint it to Return of the Swamp Thing. And I don't think enough people blame Return of the Swamp Thing for that. And they should. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing that uh, I wasn't sure if you were clear on, um, Spider-Man 101 was the first appearance of Morbus. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, hold on to that issue. Because 100, oh no, I think I already sold it. I think it Um, helped buy buy my uh, kid's house. Um, uh, I think 100 was when he took the serum that... That Peter Parker took the serum that gave him six right. arms. It was supposed to remove his powers, but instead, yeah, it, it gave him six him. arms. Ah, yeah. that was a good action figure. Anyway, uh, so Sony's also got the Valiant universe, and they're moving forward on Bloodshot, which I don't think we talked about. Vin Diesel is going to play Bloodshot, and they just added Toby Kebbell, who uh, has a Fantastic Four connection because he was Doom in the last horrible Fantastic Four movie, but he's not a bad actor. He's actually a really good actor. He was just badly written. Hmm. Uh, they haven't said what character he is, and I'll be <laughs> honest, I don't think that I know enough about Bloodshot other than the basic premise and liking it. Uh, to you know, it wouldn't mean anything to me. But I, uh, you know, th- this Valiant Universe moving forward at Sony too is interesting, and I think Vin Diesel could be a really good Bloodshot. And if you put Toby Kebbell against him, it could be interesting. So supposedly he's playing Axe, but I don't I don't know who Axe is. But you know what? I've got yeah. a stack of Valiant trades that I need to get through. It's not going to happen yeah. before Comic Con, but God knows I'll try. Anyway, uh, this is not really news. I just think it's funny and not not funny. Interesting to open up for speculation. Pierce Brosnan was reflecting. In an interview for Mamma Mia, here we go again. Which, by the way, I've never seen Mamma Mia, but I might go the se- go see the sequel just because they managed to give it a title that wasn't Mamma Mia Two, and it actually makes sense. Yes, here we Debbie, go again. Being the next layer, yeah, you're going to. Debbie go. hated the first movie, but she will go because Cher is in it. Cher playing Meryl Streep's mother, and she's yes. only four years older than Meryl Streep. Well, those were different times. They were different times. They were different times. But anyway, Pierce Brosnan was talking about this, and he said uh, he was reflecting on being James Bond. And I kind of liked him as James Bond. I did like him as James Bond, not kind of. Oh, Brosnan, yeah. Yeah. And he his suggestion, because we know Daniel Craig, well, I shouldn't say we know. We think Daniel Craig will probably leave after the next Bond film, uh, that Tom Hardy would be a good James Bond. And... I don't know why I was musing about this that, that, that this week before I read that article, but I had been thinking about, yeah, who are the Bond candidates that, you know, who are the actors that kind of look like what Ian Fleming was describing? And I know I think we've talked about Tom Hiddleston was one because he's got the suave elegance, but 
you know, Brosnan was saying the pro- the thing with with Bond is almost like it's almost like Mike Hammer. It, yeah. There's something about the character that is of its time and a personality that you kind of need. It's not quite thuggish. I think Sean Connery's smooth, rough edges. Yes. Of of the literary character and. Well, Tom, Fleming's original concept was Bond was a blunt instrument. That's the quote. And but, he looked like Hoagie Carmichael. Yeah, and and but uh, but when Con- when he saw Connery, he was he was won over. And he changed things. The later novels, you know, do yeah. kind of bring in the Scottish heritage and uh, so forth. So yes, uh, I think Tom Hardy would be an interesting choice. And I mean that in a positive. Like it, it, he could be because, like Daniel Craig. You, I mean, when you say that as a blunt instrument. You can see Daniel Craig as a blunt instrument. There, there can be an elegance to him. There's oh, yeah. an elegance to Tom Hardy. I think that's a, you know Tom Hiddleston is. He's not a blunt instrument. He's he's a surgical steel knife, mm-hmm. and I think you need the blunt, uh, a, uh, an actor who can be both. So, all of this is speculation, but it's fun to open up. And further speculation in the Marvel universe is that in Avengers Four, we've got Ant Man and the Wasp opening up next week with the same actress playing Cassie who played Cassie in Ant-Man, but they've recast the role for Avengers four, which we you know confirmed that Ant-Man and the Wasp are in. And so a slightly older actress, and that's in the speculation is Marvel, as we've talked about, you know, obviously once the Avengers, whatever happens with them in four and many contracts expire, it's time to set up the next generation. Are they setting up young Avengers? by casting perhaps an older actress. What is Cassie's, what what superhero identity did she assume? She was part um, of Young Avengers. She was, uh, God. Um, was she Goliath? Did they just she, give her I, that name? I don't know if she was. Oh, boy. You know what? Here's, a, here's that one of those moments. Okay, everybody, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com, even though after this podcast recording is over. We'll look it up, but tell us. What you know. I feel like... Stature. 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 I knew it was, it it was, was an odd name. It was a crazy name, yeah. Yeah. So she had the growth, uh, the Pym Particles. And Sorry, so, I, I spoiled your lead. <laughs> so, still uh, right in. You know, what, right in. you know what, Rick? I'm, I'm used to it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was going, prominence? No. All right, I'm just going to do a little TV stuff because it is, it's not that it's, although, you know, I could add in, did you watch Westworld and finish it and be, uh, were you in the puzzled as hell camp or the, this is of course where it was going to go camp? I was in the camp that said, I have to watch this without doing three other things at the same time. And so I've only watched two episodes you know what, of the first Rick, season. I think I'm going to get you a t-shirt that says that because yeah. uh, there have been times I think that in my head about you. You need to watch this when uh, you're not doing three other things at the same time. And uh, so, anyway, yeah, I yeah, I use many things about this season I enjoyed. But there's a season coming up, not of Westworld. I mean, there is. But uh, of Luke Cage returned to Netflix last weekend. Oh, yeah. And I watched the first episode. Fun. I, I enjoyed that. Well, heck. And then I uh, got an email. We were talking about Comic-Con. Iron Fist is going to be doing a panel for the very first time at Comic-Con. And I'm really hoping, as Luke Cage seems to be heading towards the concept of the hero for hire, at least in the first episode, yeah, 
many characters were saying, you know, you should get paid, uh, that when the Defenders kind of doubled down on the idea that Danny might have all these abilities, but he's kind of a doofus, I would love for season two to lean into that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that the first season did, and I'll be perfectly frank, I did not finish watching the first season for that reason. I found it very boring, but I enjoyed him in The Defenders because everybody was so annoyed by him within The Defenders. I finished up Jessica Jones season two as well, and my gosh, that was, you know, that is one of their perfect shows. There is no question. So, anyway... uh, there's, this is the time of the year where we get to catch up on shows we fell behind in, in, the, in the year before. You and, think? Uh, oh, I think. I don't know if, if I, I can know, stop adding think, shows. Well, you know, exactly. Like uh, we were talking tonight about, you know, we should watch The Handmaid's Tale, but I just don't think that I can handle oh, God. The Handmaid's I, Tale right now. I read The Handmaid's, I read the Handmaid's Tale a couple of months ago, I reread it. Yeah, I read it as well recently. And you know what I'm reading right now, which was a big mistake because of things that are happening. Uh, I I'm reading Man in High Castle, rereading it. The Man in the High Castle. Yeah, Man in the High Castle, uh, which is uh, it's not not really a lot like the uh, TV show, but no, uh, no, I, I like many things by the TV show, but enough, enough like, and yeah, it is it is bothersome. I you know I'll make one extra. Uh, recommendation that's completely out of what Fanboy Planet usually covers, but I just finished a book called Tyrant that I think you would really enjoy. It's Shakespeare on politics. And, you know, I've been saying for a couple of years, you know, you, you read Shakespeare and there are some maybe comforting words or wise words, and this book kind of covers that, yeah, ultimately things are survivable, maybe, maybe. And it, it oddly gave me hope. So, tyrant Shakespeare on politics. Uh, I'm also going through the through the Hugo's. I started. I picked up Volume Two of uh, of Bitch Planet because it's nominated for a Hugo, oh, yeah. and I got through the first story in that. I read Volume One a while back, and got through the first story in that, and went, "Okay, I'm done for a while. I'm sorry, Kelly Sue DeConnick, you're brilliant. It's just I can't right now. I We're just exhausted." Can't. I've been watching nothing but America's Got Talent this week, okay? <laughs> Isn't it? I love America's Got Talent. <laughs> no, I'm loving it. I'm Simon, one episode behind. but Simon um, Cowell, uh, I have always loved. I know this yeah. is way afield from Family Planet, but I just love how he is almost, he's actually supportive and kind and, and honest. And I think. And you know, still a bastard problem. at times, yeah. yeah but. No, I think, you know, it, it, look, you and I both know, man, the industry of entertainment yeah. is harsh and cruel. Isn't it better to get someone who's honest about it oh, yeah. up front yeah. and say, like, I, I've heard him coaching singers and young singers and saying, like, you know, you're good, but what, you know, what is it about you that stands out? You've got to figure that out and come back next year. Oh, that epi- just, the episode where he, he took the one kid who was going to sing a song and he said yeah no, we no, no, just no. watched it taught that one in an hour yeah oh that was great yeah absolutely yeah. you know so there we go don't turn to science fiction and <laughs> fantasy turn to america's got talent this week and you just might feel a little better yes and then again you'll see that guy in the caterpillar suit and you'll mm. wonder is mankind worth saving the, I, the, uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm 
just not sure. Anyway, all right. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, hey, tell other people that you think might enjoy it. And, uh, of course, we will. We have Comic-Con coming up in a couple of weeks, so we'll do an episode a little more focused on what's going to be happening there. Um, again, really appreciate your time. I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use your powers for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.